sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. The religious liberty case of the year was a case called Fulton against the city of Philadelphia. And my guest today to talk about it, uh, attorney Kim Colby is the director of the Center for Law and Religious Freedom at the Christian Legal Society. Kim, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. It's great to be with you, Alan. So why don't you set up the facts of the case? What was at issue in uh, Fulton against the city of Philadelphia? Well, Fulton was a really important case, perhaps the most important religious freedom case on the court's docket last term. And it was once again the court engaging in balancing of LGBT rights and religious freedom. So the case began in Philadelphia, where Catholic organizations had provided foster care services for almost 200 years. And Catholic social services for the last 50 years had aided the city. It was one of about 25 private agencies helping the city place children in foster care. And to do that, the agencies certify families as to whether they meet the state's requirements for being foster care families, and then also the requirements of the private agencies. And um, I guess about three years ago, it became to the city's attention that Catholic Social Services would not certify a same-sex couple to be a foster care family. They would refer such a couple if one ever came to their doors, which no same-sex couple had. But they said they would certainly refer that couple to one of the other 20, 25 agencies who would work with the couple. But because their Catholic beliefs regarding marriage they couldn't, they would not certify an unmarried heterosexual couple or same sex couple to be foster care parents. And so, how did this get to the Supreme Court? Uh huh. So, the city said, oh, we cannot allow this. And so, it placed a non discrimination provision in its contract with its foster care agencies. And Catholic Social Services said, we can't sign that contract provision which said that it prohibited discrimination against foster care families on a variety of grounds, including sexual orientation. Although, and this became highly relevant to the case, it became the turning point of the case, that provision in the contract had a big exception. If the commissioner gave someone an exemption from the non-discrimination policy, then they could discriminate on whatever grounds they had the exemption for. So basically, not having a contract with the city means that a private agency cannot. It's not legal for them to provide foster care. And so it meant Catholic Social Services could no longer do what it had been doing well for 50 years. So they sued and asked a court to order the city to once again allow them to participate in the foster care program. And they lost in the district court and they lost in the Third Circuit and the case ended up in the United States Supreme Court, an argument in it was heard the day after the election in 2020. So obviously they won in the Supreme Court. Uh, 
wanted to brief us on how it is that they won in the Supreme Court. So they won 9-0, a unanimous decision, which no one was predicting. Um, because of the highly sensitive issues involved, religious freedom and LGBT rights, um, no one predicted a 9-0 decision from this court. What had been hoped for by many religious freedom advocates, including myself, was that the court would take the opportunity in Fulton to overrule a 1990 decision called Smith versus Employment Division, which has just been a thorn in the side of religious freedom for 30 years now. But the court didn't do that. And we can talk a little more about that because that's one of the real important parts of the case. But to cut to the chase, the court instead said, we don't need to overrule Smith because even under Smith, what the city has done violated Catholic social services, free exercise of religion, because basically the city had this provision in the contract, which I mentioned earlier, where it said it would consider giving exemptions from its non-discrimination policy. And even though it had never given an exemption, the fact that it would consider giving one meant that the law it was applying was not generally applicable to everyone. And therefore, the court would apply what we call strict scrutiny. It would really look at the reasons that the city gave for not giving the religious group an exemption from the non-discrimination policy. And when the court applied that strict scrutiny, it determined that the city should have exempted the, the Catholic social services from its non-discrimination policy. So the Smith case back in 1990 basically said that government laws, regulations, et cetera, that are religion neutral don't require any particular exceptions or protections for religious freedom. It's only when government action or their laws are, you know, the exercise of discretion are not religion neutral where then the government action is going to be looked at as uh, potentially discriminatory, and the courts are going to scrutinize it very carefully to protect religious freedom. It seems, though, that with the Fulton case, the exception has almost completely swallowed the rule. Mm -hmm. now, I know that Christian Legal Society, among others, and you know, we long wanted the court Religious freedom advocates have long wanted the court to abandon the Smith rule as being inconsistent with religious freedom. They haven't formally abandoned it any more than they've abandoned uh, separation of church and state under the Establishment Clause. But it does seem that uh, the exception now has swallowed the rule. Um, where are we at? Yes. So I do agree. And I think the analogy to what they've done with the Establishment Clause is is apt, and I, I hope we don't go down that road. I think on free exercise, they keep coming up with ways, like Masterpiece Cake Shop and, and Fulton and others, where once you get to the Supreme Court, they find a way to rule in favor of religious freedom, but on very narrow grounds. And the problem is that the Smith decision, Correct. so as you know, and we don't even have time to go into it, but as you know, at the federal level, when the Smith decision came down, all of us joined in one huge coalition of like 62 groups, and we got the Religious Freedom Restoration Act passed. So at the federal level, you have this very strong test and protection for free exercise from federal government action, but that 
does not apply at the state and local level. And so that is why Smith needs to be overruled, because what we're seeing in Masterpiece and in Fulton are state and local entities really going after religious freedom and people who, you know, just want to bake cakes and just want to help provide foster care. And they get tangled into these local and state non-discrimination laws. And it's not until they get to the Supreme Court that they win. Well, not everyone can get to the Supreme Court. And yet everyone's free exercise should be protected regardless of whether you live in Washington State, Colorado, Philadelphia, or Texas. And yet right now, because of Smith, our rights of free exercise vary by where we live. And it really shouldn't be that way. So let's talk for a minute about Justice Barrett's Mm -hmm. concurring opinion. Um, She was reluctant to overturn Smith, and she raised questions about what would take its place. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, as I mentioned before the show, we've lived for all these decades since Smith with this kind of binary approach. Well, it's either great deference to state action or strict scrutiny, you know, uh, the highest measure of protection for religious freedom, we haven't really contemplated that there might be um, an alternate. But Justice Barrett is asking, well, is strict scrutiny really uh, the only way to go? Where, you know, is there a different way? Have we carefully thought through what would take the place of Smith? What's your thought on Justice Barrett's approach or concerns and, uh, you know, where you think the court might go? So I'm encouraged that she's asking the questions. I'm encouraged that she is very open, it seems, to overruling Smith. I think given it was her first term, she was nervous about taking such a big step in this first case. But I think, I hope, she has to trust the religious freedom community that by and large, not without some exceptions, but by and large, for 30 years, those of us who do religious freedom, um, we have been saying Smith needs to go and it needs to be replaced by the compelling interest test that was there before Smith. But this time around, the compelling interest test should have more teeth than it did before Smith. And so I would hope that rather than trying to figure it out all on her own, although she's a very intelligent justice, um, I would hope she would trust some of the long-term voices. And I know Tom Berg, Professor Berg, and Professor Laycock um, have written a, a very recent article trying to respond to her questions in a very respectful manner. And, um, you know, so I'm hoping that and other good articles come to her attention over the summer. Well, I'm going to want you to point me in the direction of those articles. But, you know, it strikes me just in the couple of minutes we have left that before Smith, we had the strict scrutiny rule. We had a doctrine of very strong protection for free exercise, but the court consistently found ways around it and tended to rule against religious freedom interests more often than not. Since we've had this weak protection in 1990, the court has continued to find ways around it and has tended to be much more protected of religious freedom in recent years than it was when we had the strong protection. Is it ironic 
that the court seems to find a way to do what it wants to do, regardless of uh, what the formal legal structure seems to be. Right. So I think what you're pointing out is correct. But (laughs) what it means is who the judge is matters. And that is the reason why I would answer Justice Barrett's last question in Fulton. Well, should it really be a strict scrutiny standard or could we do something kind of in between the Smith standard, which is almost nothing, and the strict scrutiny? And she talks about substantial maybe being the the test, a substantial uh, protection or scrutiny. And um, I think the answer to that question is, We have to have a very strong test because too often we are before judges who don't understand the importance of the free exercise uh, concern that they're looking at. They don't understand why Jack Phillips can't just bake the cake or they don't understand why, you know, in Fulton, the Catholic Social Services can't just sign the form, check the box and be done with it. And so... um, I think that's why we have to have the compelling test is our religious freedom is so determined by the personal understandings of the judges were before. And I'm not saying that to impugn the judges at all. I just think judges are human and they come in and they say, you know, more and more our judges just don't understand where a lot of religious people are coming from. And that's particularly important for what we used to call the minority faith. Maybe we're all minority faiths now. Well, I have to say I concur in my experience in litigating that courts very often don't really get religious issues, Um, so that is certainly a problem. We've been talking about the Supreme Court decision in Fulton against the city of Philadelphia. Our guest today is Kim Colby, director of the Center for Law and Religious Freedom of the Christian Legal Society. Kim, thank you so much for the discussion today. It's always a pleasure. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Ronach. Until next week, let freedom ring.